0: Good morning. My mom, or my mom, now I'm going to feel really dumb because I'm going to correct that. And I'm going to say my wife uh, <laughs> tells me that she was picking on me for the videos we've been showing the last couple of weeks, but uh, anyways, uh, I don't know, it's, they're kind of fun. Uh, anyways, grab your Bibles, open them up if you have them. Uh, we're going to be um, in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, most, of, most of the time today. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab a, if you have a smartphone or something like that, you can download an app called YouVersion. It should download pretty easily, and we uh, use the NIV version, and we'll, again, we'll be in Matthew chapter 28, so I encourage you to do that. Also, I just want you to know, like, if I all of a sudden grimace or something, I just, like, my shoulder's really, really killing me right now, and so you don't have to, like, all ask me separately after the service, like, why were you making those faces, or... <laughs> Or whatever, just know like I think I got a pinched nerve real bad or something going on And, and my whole like right side might just droop all of a sudden or whatever <laughs> um, And I'll be okay, I'll make it through You know, I took some Advil, I, I'll, I'll, I'll make it So uh, anyways, hey we've been going through this series called One And, um, and we're, we're, this is the last uh, Sunday uh, of this series And we started out, the, week number one uh, was about loving one and you know we love the one right we 're uh, we're supposed to love God with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, and then we love our neighbor as ourselves and so we talked about about loving God and, and, and loving loving others and in week two, we talked about being on mission, one mission, and, and we really talked about having the end in mind and the new heavens and the new earth, and looking forward to that in uh, week three, we talked about one church and the idea of there being one church. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are in the church it doesn 't matter what the sign outside says. Uh, it, it's it's beyond the walls of any particular building, and um, but, but we are part of the church if we follow Jesus. Uh, today we are talking about inviting one, and it's going to take a few minutes to get there. Um, uh, so I want you to hang in, hang in there with me as we go through the, the message this morning. Um, but we are gonna we are gonna be looking at this idea of inviting inviting one. So so we're gonna we're gonna be in Matthew chapter twenty eight as I mentioned. And uh, and the Ma- the book of Matthew consists of 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 it's kind of a, a replication, if you will, of Israel's journey out of Egypt. Right? They were, uh, you know, Israel found themselves in Egypt. They were slaves for 400 years, and then uh, and then Moses went and, and brought them out. And, and some of you are looking at me a little funny, like what? And and you, but if you as you read through Matthew, what you find is that Jesus, in some ways, kind of re- replays these moments. In, in Israel's history, and just as he was tempted in the, in the wilderness for 40 days, so Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. And there's this, this kind of a, this idea of hearing from God from the mountain. And We're going to talk about that a little bit. When Moses went up the mountain and he brought down uh, God's word to the people. And, and so Jesus kind of does this same thing. As you read through Matthew, you see this kind of replayed in a certain sense. And, and we're certainly going to see that uh, today. And so as we look at that, Ma- Matthew chapter 28. Verse 16 says this Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. This is a really key moment. Because the disciples have been following Jesus for three years, right? They've gone through this process. Jesus went to the cross. He died. He was buried in a grave. He rose again. As a matter of fact, uh, preceding this passage, there's this idea. They go and they say, hey, we want you to to talk about this conspiracy theory where they they went and stole the body. Disciples went and stole the body and and took it off to to fake Jesus' resurrection, right? And, And there's just kind of this conspiracy theory and they're trying to sell this theory. And, uh, and, but the problem was that Jesus presented himself alive, living to more than 500 people at one time, to the 12 disciples and to others as well. And so he had pr- proven and presented himself that he had resurrected from the dead. And then, he, and then he has this moment where he tells the 11, and you guys might be thinking, weren't there 12 disciples, but Judas, right, betrayed Jesus, and not only did he betray Jesus, but he took his own life. And so Jesus, Judas is no longer there. So there's the 11, and so Jesus tells the 11 Uh, to go to this mountain, right? And so Jesus is going to meet them on the mountain. But if you think about mountains, and and you see mountains uh, several times, not only in Matthew, but really throughout Israel's history, you you might go back to that time when when Moses went up the mountain, right? Moses goes up the mountain, he hears the word of God, he brings down the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, and he brings the word of God to the people. And so Jesus says, I'm going to meet you there. And so they go up the mountain to where Jesus had told them, And what does verse 17 say? When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. See, just as God gave Israel their marching orders through Moses on Mount Sinai, Jesus gives marching orders to the church on this mountain. This is not an accident. Jesus is not suggesting the mountain on accident. This is an intentional effort on his part. Now, you might begin to think about it, and you, and you go, well, Moses went up the mountain, but when Moses went up the mountain, he heard the word of God, right? When Jesus goes up the mountain, he proclaims the word of God. The, the fact that he goes up the mountain and he begins to speak to the disciples is saying something about his identity and who Jesus is. Jesus goes up the mountain, he proclaims the word of God, he's saying, look, I am God, He's making a divine claim, which would make no sense in many ways if he was some other person, right? I mean, lots of people have claimed to be God, and then we throw him in, you know, padded rooms, right? But why was it different with Jesus? It was different with Jesus because the disciples had been there when he was put on the cross. They had visited the tomb where his body had been laid. And they had seen him resurrected and alive once again, even though he was confirmed dead, put in a grave for three days after being beaten and tortured and having a sword stuck into his side. And so this resurrection idea, it was real. They saw it with their own eyes. And now Jesus goes up to the mountain and he, and he proclaims the word of God. He's making a huge statement here. This isn't an accident. This isn't, I just like the mountain. I like the view. This isn't that kind of thing. This is... This is, the idea is I am God in the flesh. I am the divine eternal son of God who took on human flesh. And I'm here and I'm proclaiming something to you. And I'm doing it from this mountain because I'm, I'm doing something important. I'm giving you marching orders. But then it says, it qualifies it in the next phrase. And it says, some doubted. And we go, wait a minute, what does that mean? Some doubt, how did they doubt? What does that look like? But we shouldn't read into that in the wrong way. It doesn't mean that they never had questions about who Jesus was. Certainly Thomas had questions. You remember uh, Thomas, John records Thomas uh, after the, the rest of the disciples had seen Jesus alive and, 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 and were saying, hey, Thomas, Jesus is alive. He's like, yeah, right. He says, well, I'll, I'll believe it when I what? Put my fingers in his wounds, right? In other words, when he appears before me and I can put my finger in the wounds in his hands or, 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 or in his side, then I'll believe. And of course, Jesus did appear to him and, and, then, and says, here, Thomas, put, go ahead, touch him. And then what? Thomas believed, right? So it's not that nobody ever doubted who Jesus was, but at this point on this mountain, that's not exactly what was going on. It wasn't a doubt in who Jesus was because what did they do? Their initial response was what? Worship. In other words, Jesus, Jesus had said, I'll meet you there. They, they show up, and they, and they worship him. They bow down before him. I don't know exactly what the worship looked like, but whatever they were doing, it was an act of worship. They were saying, you are the divine, eternal son of God who took on human flesh, who rose from the dead, and we believe in you, and we follow you, and we are gonna worship you. And so their, their initial response was worship, but then it says, but some doubted. But the, that, the word that's translated Doubted there has uh, an, this idea of hesitation. In other words, it wasn't so much that they doubted who Jesus was. They didn't. They didn't doubt his resurrection. They didn't doubt that he went to the cross. They didn't doubt that he paid for their sins. They didn't doubt those things. What they doubted is what should we do next? In other words, Jesus dies he rises again from the dead and they and they see him and they're in front of him and they worship him and then they're like but what now what is next after this and so they have this doubt about how to go forward they're not sure what it means it doesn't mean that they were un- uncertain about who he was. They just didn't know where to go from there. And you can imagine, right? I mean, think about it. how many of you have seen somebody die and rise from the dead? Just raise your hand. Really? Nobody, huh? I mean, because usually I get a few people, right? Because they're like, well, you know, my, my you know, friend or whatever, you know, his heart stopped and then they, they resuscitated him or something like that. You know, you get some of those, right? But, but, but then the question is, how many of you saw a guy die? By being beaten within an inch of his life, a sword pushed into his side where water and blood flowed. In other words, he experienced heart failure, put in a grave for three days, and on the third day rose again. And I ask you that question. How many of you guys have seen that before? And of course, nobody's going to raise their hand. It doesn't happen, right? And this is what the disciples had experienced. And if it wasn't for their own eyes, they certainly wouldn't have believed it. As a matter of fact, Peter denies Jesus three times when he's on the cross, right? Jesus is on the cross, and and Jesus had no concept of of him coming back to life. He's distancing distancing himself from Jesus. He thought Jesus was going to establish a different kind of kingdom. He thought Jesus was going to come and be a political leader, and he was going to free the Israelites from Rome, and it was going to be great, and they were going to have offices, and they were going to rule themselves, and and God was again going to be glorified uh, through the nation of Israel. That's what Peter thought. And all of a sudden, he's dead. He's dying on a cross. The Romans are killing him. Peter denied Jesus. And yet, later, after Jesus rose again, Peter is face to face with the risen Savior. How does that happen? These are not gullible people who sit there and think, wow, I'm just not sure if that really happened You know, or or, or these are not gullible people who go, well, I just think Jesus is going to rise from the dead. I've never seen it before. Nobody else has ever seen anything like it, but that's what's going to happen. They doubted in those ways, but here they are now convinced because Jesus had presented himself. He'd shown many convincing proofs. He's the risen Savior, and now they're worshiping him, and they're saying, but what's next? And so Jesus, standing on the mountain, begins to proclaim the word of God, and he starts so by By claiming authority, and what we need to realize is this, that Jesus' authority is divine, eternal, and complete. Jesus' authority is divine, eternal, and complete. In verse 18, it says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why don't you think about that for a minute? I mean, that's a bold statement. In other words, he's saying, He's saying, if anybody can tell you what to do, it's me. Right? Right? all authority in heaven and on earth, everything, that all authority that there is, is mine. That's huge. Who is this Jesus that claims that kind of authority? Of course, Matthew isn't recording this in a vacuum. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, you go back to the prophet Daniel, right? And and Daniel in chapter 7 begins to talk about this vision that that Daniel has in these four beasts, and it's it's a it's a vision about the way what's going to happen in the future, and, and 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 there's these four beasts, and they're going to represent four kingdoms, and and this Messiah is going to come, and he's going to overthrow them and conquer them, and then in verse fourteen it says this, this one this one called the Son of Man, the ancient days is given authority, glory and sovereign power, all nations. And peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now I want you to keep those words in your mind as we go through this text in Matthew chapter 28. Because they're going to sound very familiar. Matthew isn't recording these words of Jesus in a vacuum. He certainly knows of this uh, of the scripture in Daniel chapter seven. He's aware of it. And as a matter of fact, he's aware of the resemblance of what Jesus is doing back to this passage because Jesus is the ancient of days. He is the one called the son of man. And now Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he's referencing back to this passage in Daniel and he's saying, I have all the authority that there is. This is a divine claim. And it's clear. And if you go back to Matthew chapter 4, you go to the New Testament. And Jesus is out in the wilderness, right? And many of you have, have heard this story before where Jesus is out in the wilderness and, and he's being tempted. And, and, and Satan comes and he tempts him. And, and every time Jesus rebuffs him and says, no, I'm not going to fall into your temptation of, 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 of turning these stones into bread, for instance. But one of the temptations was he took him up to a mountainside. And it was, it was near the city of Jericho. As a matter of fact, I, when I went to Israel, I got to go there. Uh, Ryan Lewis and I, when we went, we, we, we went up there and we were, we were sitting there and looking out. And it was amazing because as I began to think of this story in Matthew chapter 4 and realizing that what Jesus was looking at was literally other kingdoms. He could see these other kingdoms and, around him at that moment. And Satan brings him up to this mountain and, and tempts him and says, and says, you can have all of this. In other words, Satan's tempting him with the authority over these other kingdoms. He's tempting him to shortcut the story. He's saying, "I'll just give all this to you now. You don't have to, you know, Jesus what you're going to have to go through. But don't do it. I'll give it to you now." And so Satan's tempting Jesus to shortcut the story and he's to take the authority then. And then Jesus rebuffs him. He says, "No, I'm not going to follow that." Jesus was not going to shortcut The authority. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Again, there's that idea of a mountain. He was brought to a mountain to be tempted. To implement his authority at the wrong time and in the wrong place. It reminds me, as you think about authority, it reminded me of this time I was... uh, Driving south on Kipling, uh, I don't know how many years ago it was. It was probably like seven or eight years ago, something like that. And I was da- driving south on Kipling down near uh, where Kipling hits four seventy. Just before that, and uh, I, uh, there was an accident. And if I remember right, the, a guy riding a bike got hit by a car, and he, he turned out to be okay and everything. But he got hit by a car. And as a matter of fact, he. By the time I got there, and I got there, you know, I don't know, a minute or two after it happened, it was, it was close to the time, I didn't see it, but it was pretty close to the time uh, that happened, and as I was following everybody, you know, traffic stops, and, and I'm trying to turn left and, and, and go home, and I'm like, what's going on, and, and like people are out, out of their car, and so I get out of my car, and I go to f- see what's going on, and uh, excuse me, and uh, the guy's, you know, he's fine, his, his, his bike's a little beat up, but he's walking around, he's okay, and um, somebody called the police, and, and all these things, and so it was just kind of this waiting game, but there was this lady uh, who was driving a mail truck, and she was in the she was in the turning lane, and she was like not by her car. And, and so, you kind of everybody was kind of getting back to their cars and starting to, you know, okay, well, let, let's go, you know, let's, you know, everybody's safe now and taken care of. Let's go. And and she just she wouldn't move her car. And so she's sitting there, and she and I was talking to her. I was like, hey, can you just like maybe park over there, and then you could stay because she witnessed it, and you know, you could stay and talk to the police. But can you, you know, maybe just go over there and park in the parking lot, you know? And she was like, No, I saw the accident. I mean she's really intense. Um, she's really excited. I, I don't mean that in a happy way. <laughs> I mean that just she was excited, like excitable, kind of excited. And she's No, I saw the accident. I go, I understand, I understand. Maybe you just park it and stay and then talk to the police since you witnessed it and No, no, I'm not gonna do it and, and she started to get mad at me and I was like I was like, All right. I was like the police are just gonna have you move your car when they get here. And she's like, no, I got to leave it there. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and, and so fine. So I'm like, all right, fine. And I'm just going to let it be and I'll, I'll just wait. And so the police got there and then what did they do? Would you please go over and move your car over to the parking lot so we can get traffic going, right? Like it was just one of those things. But why didn't she listen to me? Why, why did, because clearly, no, here's why she didn't listen to me because I had no authority, Right? I didn't have authority. I wasn't a traffic cop, a police officer. I couldn't couldn't make her do anything she didn't want to do. I didn't have the authority to do that. Well, Jesus needed to set the stage here because he was about to tell them to do something and it was important and he had to help them understand, I have the authority to give this command. When I say this, it matters. when I told her to move, it didn't matter. it was just like my, I'm just another guy right like I, she doesn't know who I am and, and furthermore, I have no training I have nothing i'm just I'm just trying to you know get home to be honest with you right like I just want to go home and, and and so so I'm nobody I don't have any authority to tell her to do anything. so as we read this text, the idea is that Jesus is saying, I have the authority because all authority in heaven and on earth has been excuse me, given to me. All the authority, I have it. It's mine. So what I say in this instance matters. It carries weight. This is significant. And so what he is about to say carries the authority of the one who created the universe, the one for whom the universe is created, and the one who holds the universe together. Not only do all of the, are all of those things true, But he actually took on the divine, eternal Son of God, took on human flesh and went to the cross and paid the price for our sins so that we might know God and be made right in God's eyes. And he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. In other words, I have all the authority that exists. I've got it. Now listen to what I say. And As we think about this, this is a passage that's very well known. Many of you have heard it many, many times. And I'm going to change the order on the slides here. I'm going to go to the text first. It says, it says this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The idea is this. Go and make disciples. It's really important. This is a, a central command. Jesus is about to go be with the Father. He's about to ascend to be with the Father. This is like his last marching orders, the last thing he's going to say to these disciples before he goes and, be, and, and sits on the right, right hand of the Father. It's important. And in this one series, this one series, we've been kind of moving this direction, this idea of going and inviting people to church. And, and And I want us to understand something that inviting somebody to church isn't just an invitation to church it's a lot more than that as we as we seek to obey what Jesus says, it's not just an invitation to church it's an invitation to discipleship. We need to see the difference. I think a lot of times you know we we get excited about what the mission is right if if what we believe is right and true, if, if Jesus really was the divine, eternal Son of God, if, if the world really is a messed up place and you don't have to spend too much time thinking about that to realize and to recognize that the world's got issues... As a matter of fact, it's not just the world that's got issues. It's not just the people that live on the other sides of the oceans or other parts of, of the United States or, or other parts of the state or, or whatever. It's not just those people who have issues, but it's, it's me. I got issues. And those of you who know me very well know I got issues, right? And if you're confused about that, just ask my wife or the other people that live in my house, right? I I got issues. I got problems. And the reality is that that I know I got problems, right? I know that I've I've, I've messed up. I know that I've done things that aren't right. I know I haven't always treated people the way I should have treated people. I know that that I've got sin issues is is how we talk about those things, right? There's sins. I know I've sinned. And because I know I've sinned, I know that I need to be made right before God. And I also know that I'm incapable of doing that. I can't do it. As a matter of fact, you, you know, you begin to think about it, and uh, the gospel's a lot like, a, a, a lot like, uh, well, it's like an iPad and the cap to a coffee uh, mug. You might be thinking, well, how is that? Well, It's, like, it's, it's kind of like this. We, uh, this is like the sin in our life, right? It's not very much. It's a little bit. It's just a small thing. And a lot of times, what we do is we've done things wrong. We've made bad decisions in relationships. We've we've done things that were that were morally wrong that that offended God right and, the, and it's not much we might think but it's it's a little bit and so what we do is then we go we try to take all the good things this is like the good things we do in our life right and so we do all these good things we try to we try to try to show everybody what a good person we are and after a while this is what we look like like can you see the sin can you see it can't see it can you but I'm not a, I'm not a magician man it's still there right I'm not, I'm not pulling a magic trick on you. It's like we sin in our lives and we sometimes try to cover it up with the good things. But if we, if we take a real good look in our life, it's still there. No matter what we do, no matter how many good things we do, no matter how many philanthropic philanthropic things we do, no matter how, how generous we are with our resources, no matter how many um, people we stop and help change a tire alongside the road, or or no matter how many, how many people who are, are less, um, are, are less wealthy than we are that we kind of go and we try to help them out. We, maybe we're generous, we give to charities, we give of our time or whatever. We do all of these things trying to, trying to be this really good person, but at the end of the day, the sin is still there no matter what we do. And so we go, well, what do we do? I mean, that's, this is the gospel message, right? That's, that's the divine, eternal son of God who comes down to earth. He takes on human flesh, and he, he did this. He went and took away the sin. And he said, I'll pay for it. Now look at us. Sin's gone. Jesus took the sin. And when he was on the cross, he bore the weight of our sin, satisfying God's justice and making his grace and his mercy available to us so that when we stand before the Father, all God sees is our righteousness. It's a glorious message, isn't it? Isn't it a message that the world needs to hear? We need to know that there's a God who makes us right, who provided a way. When we invite people to church, it's not just so that we can have a good time. It's not just so that we can have burgers at our house afterwards. No, you aren't all invited. Only the people that we invited are invited. All right? Just so, I just don't want you all showing up at our house. We don't have enough burgers, all right? Y'all can come another time. The point is this, it's not just about hanging out that afternoon, it's about Jesus, it's about inviting people into a relationship with Jesus where they can receive the grace and the mercy that God has given and God has granted. When we invite people to church, it's an invitation to discipleship. We look at this rather well-known text, at least within Christian circles, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. By the way, that sounds a lot like what we read in Daniel, doesn't it? The idea of all the nations coming together to worship. And, and a lot of pastors have gone, gotten up and said, well, you know, what's happening here is to therefore go and make disciples. And they, and they say, hey, the, the, word, the, the word for go is kind of this, you know, they, get in, they dive into the Greek a little bit and they say it's a present participle, and all these things, which means as you are going. And there's some truth to that. But I want you to understand something else that's happening in the text here. It's it's translated in every translation. Go and make disciples. It's translated as if the "go" is an imperative and the "make an, uh, make disciples" is an imperative. In other words, it's they're both commands, and the translators are getting it right. And I can tell you about all these things with the Greek. It doesn't matter, all right? Because you're just because you're all going. Go, well, it's Greek to me, John. <laughs> right. The point is this, that the word go is a present participle, and there is this as you go part of it, but it takes on the meaning of the main verb, which is make disciples. That's what's happening here. In other words, the command, if you are a follower of Jesus, is 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 go. The, the command is go. And the command is make disciples. It's both. And it's given to the 11 disciples who are the foundation of the church, and it is both By uh, proxy, through them, given to the entire church. And if you are part of the church, guess who who it's given to? Yes! It's given to you and me! Because we're part of the church. Jesus didn't come and say, hey, go build big churches. I, I can't find that commandment anywhere in the Bible. He didn't, say, he didn't say, he didn't come and say, hey man, you know, go have really killer bands. He, now, There's a command to sing, right? We find that in the Bible. The command to sing and to worship God. But he didn't say go have really killer bands and, 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 and draw large crowds with, uh, you know, lights and smoke machines. I'm not against those things. Don't get me wrong. I, I want great bands and, and you know, smoke, smoke, smoke machines. We don't have any. I don't, I don't really care that much. But whatever. We, if we want to have smoke machines, whatever. I don't care. That's not the point. We missed the point. Those are a distraction. What does he say? Go and what? Make disciples. That's what the church is about. We we go and we make disciples. We invite people into community with Jesus Christ, with the God of the universe, who has all the authority that there is. All of the authority had been given to him. Everything. He owned it all. And if there really is a God who created the universe and, 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 and he created us, it makes sense that he might want to reveal himself to us. And if he chose to do that by taking on human flesh, by going to the grave, by rising again, and showing himself to us, and then is inviting us to a future where there will be no more death, there will be no more dying, there will be no more sickness, there will be no, no more of all of that stuff. A new heavens and a new earth because he wants to be with us for eternity. If all of that is true then why in the world wouldn't he want us to invite other people into that? So I want want to make it clear that next week is October 27th, and and we've been praying for people and and, and working on inviting people and, and all those kinds of things. But it's not just an invitation to church. It's an invitation to discipleship. An invitation to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as he talks about it, there's three things he lists here. He says, well, two, two and then kind of a promise. There's uh, ways to do this. He says, he says uh, first, that we should baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, did that mention earlier? We have a baptism coming up. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you should get baptized. And then he says, teach them to obey all, the, all, that, I've, all that I've commanded you, all that I've taught you disciples. You should go and then teach them to obey that. And then he says... That he'll be with you to the very end of the age. In other words, as you go and do this, I will be with you. I will help you in this process. The prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, talks about this mission in this way. He says this The resurrection then is our aim, to raise the dead is our mission. We are like Peter at Joppa or Paul at Troas. We have young Dorcas or Eutychus to bring to life. And in other words, what he's doing is he's referencing these stories where Peter and Paul did raise somebody from the dead. One of them, one of them like fell out a window. It's a really funny story, right? But, but he goes, hey, they raised him from the dead. And there's this idea that that's what we're doing spiritually. When we help people go from a place where they have sinned and they have separated themselves from God and we help them understand the grace and the mercy that's found in Jesus Christ and so that they can then receive that and embrace that, we are helping them go from death to life. And that's the mission. That's what we are to do. The mission that we're on. So how do we do we do that? Well, there's lots of ways we do that. My hope is that As we go about our lives day to day, that we glorify and honor God by bringing the gospel with us wherever we go. You know, we talked about being one church, and we talked about, hey, this is this is a building we meet in, but this is not the church. It's a church. It's not the church. What's the church? The church is people who follow Jesus. That's the church. And Jesus is the head of the church. And when we walk out these doors, we don't stop being the church. We take church with us because we are the church. Into our jobs, into our communities. So how do, we, how do we do this? Well, here's how we do it in the here and now. We invite one. One person, one family, one group of friends. Just one. I want to challenge you guys, and hopefully you guys, have, as we've been going through the devotional, you've been praying. And you've been praying for people, and as a matter of fact, we've, put, we've even put first names, and we're going to take this down this week, but, but we've put first names on cards because we've been praying for people, and that they would not only say yes to an invitation to come to church, because we want to have people come to church that week, but we're not inviting them just to church, we're inviting them into what? Discipleship, into a relationship with Jesus. That's the invitation, And hopefully you've been praying for for five or six people or maybe even more. And as you've been praying for these these people, maybe you've already invited them and and, and they've already said, hey, yeah, I'm coming. That's amazing. But if you haven't, if you haven't, stop right now, grab the card off the chair. Go ahead, there's cards on the chairs. Go ahead and grab those. Pick those up, put them in your pocket. Everybody, stop staring at me. I can see you. I don't know if you know this. Like, I can see you go like this. Some of you aren't just going like this. You're like this. Like, I ain't moving, John. You can't make me move, Pastor John. I know, just move your arms. Grab the cards, all right? Put them in your pockets. An invitation to church isn't an invitation to church. It's an invitation into an opportunity to understand and know the love and the grace and the mercy that God has granted to us. What a privilege it is. To do that. Next week, we're going to be talking about forgiveness. If you're wondering what the sermon is, maybe talk. Who doesn't need forgiveness in their life? Both to receive and give it, right? We're going to be talking about forgiveness next week. Tell, tell me that's not applicable to every person who's ever walked the face of the planet. To no one understand the forgiveness, and especially the forgiveness of God. So take those cards with you. Invite somebody this week, because it's not just an invitation to church. It's an invitation to discipleship. Amen? Let's pray.